This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. are a lively 11 o'clock service. We are packed. Man, can I just say this? It's awesome to be able to gather, isn't it? Yes. And it's so good to be at church. You know, last week we had to uh, go online for our Sunday services. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we had a little bit of a, uh, well, the rain cre- created a little bit of a sewage situation. And so uh, trust me when I say this, uh, as much as we miss being here with you all, it was important for us not to have church last week. Uh, here locally. So um, I'm glad that we were able to do that online. Uh, And speaking of, if you're joining us online, I want to say welcome. Can we welcome those that are online this morning? Yeah. So again, like Pastor Jackson said, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at New Song, and I am really, really excited to be able to bring God's word this morning. Um, One of the things that I wanted to mention, though, in case you did miss last week online, I want to encourage you, first off, make sure you go back and listen to that message. Pastor David, brought an amazing word on the life of Abel. And uh, man, it was so good, so impactful. And so I wanna encourage you to go back and listen to that. But one of the things that he also talked about, uh, and I think it's important to mention, maybe this is your first summer with us here at New Song. And in the month of July, our senior pastors, Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah, uh, the elders have established a rhythm of sabbatical for them, which trust me when I say this, you, as, as members of this church, you want your pastors to be able to rest. It's important for longevity and to continue to hear from the Lord with the the vision and the purpose with this church. And so the month of July, they take four Sundays off, four weekends off. And so here's one of the, the reason why I bring that up is here's what I want to encourage you to do throughout your week uh, during prayer. As you're praying for your pastors, just continue to pray that the Lord would would bless them in this time. And um, so grateful that they can connect with one another, connect with their family, uh, and then obviously connect with God. And we're looking forward to having them back. So uh, would you do that with me this week as you guys pray for your pastors? Um, and, uh, yeah, it'll be awesome. So like I said, we are continuing this series by faith. Everybody say by faith. By faith. And I tell you, this has been, you know, it's funny. You, if, if you've ever heard me teach, you, you notice that this is something I always say, but this is quickly becoming one of my favorite series. Uh, I love how that happens, but man, this is such a great series. We're in Hebrews 11. And one of the things that we're doing is we're going through and we're not just teaching. I was talking to Pastor Trudy about this this morning. It's, I love that we're not just teaching on Hebrews 11 one Sunday and then moving past it. We're teaching on different characters, different people uh, that really lived and really walked this earth and utilized great faith to be used by God. And so we're studying those out. And you know, I love what Pastor Sarah said a couple weeks ago. She said that you know, kind of like a wartime letter, Hebrews 11 was written to remind or to infuse and inject faith into some second generation Christians in the New Testament as far as, you know, they started facing persecution, started facing some things that, you know, maybe it wasn't, you know, as easy or as smooth going as they had thought. And so I love it because the context of the chapter is one of the, or yeah, that we realize in the chapter is this, is that God used everyday ordinary people, many who had flaws, and significant flaws. Like these aren't, you know, God's not, here, here's one of the great things and it's good news for us. God's not looking for the person who's got it all together and is completely perfect because guess what? None of us are that person. And so what I love about this chapter is we read this is there's some, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that we can identify with. 
And there's things in their life that we can identify with. And, and where it should fuel your faith is to realize that, man, God wants to use me in a great and significant way. And it just takes faith. It requires faith. And we see that in the character that we're going to look at today. I, you know, I said that a lot of them have flaws. This is one of those characters that you got to look real hard to find some flaws. Um, one of the few, we're going to look at the life of Joseph today. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. And Joseph is, uh, there's some significance that the story has in my life. I love the, the story of Joseph. And uh, many of us know the story of Joseph. Like it's, Joseph is a well-known story in the Bible. It's one that's taught often in children's ministry. Maybe in 2000, you watched the DreamWorks movie, Joseph, King of Dreams. Uh, great movie, by the way. Love it. Wonderful. Um, but, uh, you know, many of us know the story of Joseph. And what's fascinating to me, and we're going to get to Hebrews 11.22 here in a moment. So that's, Hebrews 11.22 is, is the main verse in our uh, message today as far as, you know, as it relates to Hebrews 11. But before we get to that, I really felt like as I was putting this together, there was this thought process that I had as I'm going, how in the world do I talk about Joseph? Because there's so much in here. Joseph's life spans from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. There's 14 chapters. There's so much to cover. And so I really felt like I think the best way for us to do this is even though you've heard the story before, likely, I want to go through and I want to detail out Joseph's life because I think it's going to show us something at the end. So if you've got your Bibles uh, or your notes with you, I want you to go ahead and open to Genesis 37. That's where we're going to start. And we're going to steamroll through some of this, okay? We're going to get through a lot of scripture today. Are you guys okay with that? We are in church, so it's okay to read a lot of scripture. Um, but the first half of this message, we're going to spend a lot of time going through that. And then we've got some, some stuff that will tie it all together nicely at the end. So Genesis 37 verses 3 and 5, or 3 through 5. We see that Joseph, as many of you all know, is a dreamer, right? Joseph gets these two dreams and he's 17 years old when this happens. Um, it says this in verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, Israel being his father Jacob, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Parents, let me just talk to you for a minute. Uh, <laughs> if you've got a favorite child, it's probably best that you maybe don't voice that to the other kids. Certainly don't, don't make them clothing that help them stand out. And, uh, you know, it's going to create some contention uh, between kids. Uh, but here's one of the things I want to say about this. Like, I think it's easy for us to read this and be like, Wow. Joseph was this bratty little 17-year-old kid who ratted on his brothers. And there's no doubt about it. Like, listen, Joseph had some immaturity that he needed to work through. But we read in verse 5, now Joseph had a dream and he told his dream to his brothers and they hated him even more. Joseph dreamed and was set apart because Joseph loved God. Like, Joseph loved God and loved the things of the Lord. That's what set him apart. Now, again... There was some immaturity that needed to be worked out. I think that that's the case in all of our lives. We, we realize that. But you see this hatred start to develop. Joseph had these two dreams. And part of the reason why there was so much hatred or animosity is not just that, hey, you know, dad loves you more than us. But the dream was putting Joseph kind of at the center of attention and his family bowing down to him. So you mix that in with, you know, your little brother being the favorite one. And now you're being told that one day, you know, he's, you're going to serve him. It's like, okay. Buddy, I'm about to, <laughs> we're about to show you how this works. Genesis 37, 23 through 28, this is where we read that his brothers are far off and Jacob sends Joseph to go find him. 
We see this in verse 23. It says, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. They took him, they cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. I think that's important there and because it's like, hey, that, that hurt. They didn't just lay him gently in something. They sat down to eat a meal. Then they, then they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for our brother is our flesh. For he is our brother and our flesh. This speaks to the hatred. Like now they're sitting here justifying like, yeah, we can't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Yeah, it's a good idea, right? Maybe try to feel good about the decision that they're making. It says that his brothers listened and then in verse 28, the Midianite traders passed by so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. So they took Joseph out of the land of Canaan and they took him to Egypt. They tear his coat up or his tunic up, bring it back to his father and they lie to their father. They know good and well what happened, but Jacob thinks his son Joseph has been mauled by an animal and begins to mourn. Then we get to chapter 38. We're not gonna go through 38. There's some Jerry Springer level drama in chapter 38 about this family. <laughs> Again, there's imperfect people, right? God using imperfect people from imperfect families. And we see in verse 39, or I'm sorry, in chapter 39, when he gets to Egypt, and I think this is important. One of the things that I want you to highlight as we read through these five verses is how many times it says that God's hand was on Joseph. Because it doesn't you know, explicitly imply that Joseph was seeking God or trusting in God, but we can... We can make that assumption based on the fact that God's hand was on Joseph and everything that Joseph did, the Lord yeah. blessed. Yeah. So we see this in Genesis 39. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse two, it says that the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. Uh, and he was the master in the house of the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Joseph, in spite of being sold into slavery, in spite of being you know, lied to, lied about, Joseph is serving in Potiphar's house and because of it, he doesn't lose faith. He holds on to the dream that God gives him and God continues to bless his life. That should speak to somebody in the room to this, this morning. Like you might be in a, a season of life where, or a life where it feels like, man, things are not going where the way that I want to. God wants to still put his hand on you and bless you where you're at. But it takes serving. It takes obeying and doing what God has for you. Verse six is kind of funny to me. Verse six says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance as if it's like going, well, you know, at least he had that going for him, yeah. right? <laughs> but it says that because we see the second issue come onto the scene or the second test, if you will, that Joseph has to, to go through and lean on his faith. And that's Potiphar's wife. So Potiphar, again, is the, the Egyptian that purchased Joseph as a slave. And Potiphar's wife, it says in chapter 39, that she cast longing eyes at Joseph. She was well aware that he was handsome in form and appearance. And it says that she had requested multiple times to lie with Joseph, um, which that's the PG version of what she really wanted to do. 
And Joseph, I want you to think about this. Joseph is alone, away from his family. Like, you know, this is a tough, this is a tough time for him. I, and, and again, I want to sit here and say this. There's never an instance in where we justify sin. Sin is never, you can never justify sin. Oftentimes, I think sometimes we, we do, and we, we look at our circumstances and goes, well, it happened because of this. I think if ever anybody had an opportunity to accidentally slip into sin, it was Joseph right here. Because trust me, like in your, he's 20-something at this point. There's, there's a desire that he has here too. Yeah. And, it, and, and there's an option. It's available. Here, here's what I love, though, is you see the heart of Joseph in Genesis 39.9. Joseph says this, there's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back for me because, or, but you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph's response is, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to get caught. I'm not going to do this because, man, what are the circumstances or what are the, the consequences? Joseph says, I'm not doing this because I know the God that I serve and I know the promise that's in front of me and I'm not sinning against God. Like Joseph's heart remains pure here. You see in Matthew 5, 8 in, in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You see Joseph's heart pure, his motives pure, his faith is pure. And I would say this, Joseph knew very well that if he said no, there's probably a consequence, you know, in the natural that would be greater than if he said yes. Because again, it's Potiphar's wife. And we see that take place. Yeah. Potiphar's gone. Joseph is in a precarious situation where he and his wife are in the house together and she frames him and claims, claims that, that he tried to rape her and Potiphar returns and throws him into prison. But what's it say in Genesis 39, 21? But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It goes on to say in verse 22 and 23 that the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look at anything that was in Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph continued to serve regardless of his circumstances. I think one of the lessons to, hear, the, to take from this people this morning is this, is circumstantial faith is not faith at all. Joseph, in spite of his circumstances, continued to lean on the Lord, continued to pursue God. And guess what? He continued to see God move in his life. This guy's something else. Like this is, this is pretty spectacular stuff as you go through and read about his life. So he's in prison. And then we see these two, these two characters introduced to the story. It's the chief butler and the chief baker from Pharaoh's palace. We don't know why they're there, but they're there. And they have these two dreams. And Joseph begins to minister to them by interpreting their dreams. And, you know, they approach Joseph or they're talking about it. And the chief butler shares his dream with him. And Joseph says, in three days time, you'll be restored to your position. Everything will be good. Like, this is going to be great. And the chief baker hears this and is like, fantastic. What's mine mean? <laughs> well, chief baker's news wasn't as good. It was, hey, in three days time too, they're going to come and get you as well. However, they're going to hang you and the birds are going to eat your flesh. How many of you guys know that was a long 72 hours? Or actually, it was probably a short 72 hours for the baker. Um, but those two things come to pass. And we see that when the butler leaves, that this is really the only time in Scripture that Joseph kind of props himself up. He says, hey, remember me. Remember me when you go back to the palace. And so as you're reading it, you're thinking, oh, this is the opportunity where Joseph, someone's going to go talk to Pharaoh or somebody 
about this guy who was wrongfully thrown in prison, who's interpreting dreams, but two years goes by, not a word, not a word. And we don't read anything that Joseph's character changed. Joseph continued to remain the same until we start reading about Pharaoh. Pharaoh had these two dreams, or he had these dreams, he had the dream twice, and they were these dreams about fat cows and skinny cows and skinny cows eating fat cows. And it's like, what are you eating, Pharaoh? But he wants to, you know, trouble him. It, it, it kept him up and it troubled his spirit. And so he was trying to find somebody to interpret these dreams. And at this point, the butler remembers, hey, Joseph, who's in prison, he can interpret these dreams. So they clean Joseph up and bring him before Pharaoh. Now, this is, Joseph is age 30 at this time. This is 13 years from the time Joseph received his dreams that we read about in Genesis 37. So 13 years has gone by and he's standing before Pharaoh. Understand this, it took great faith to stand before Pharaoh. He's a prisoner standing before the most powerful person in all of the world at the time. And here's what he responds, I love this. Pharaoh's asking him, can you interpret these dreams? And here's Joseph. Joseph says this to Pharaoh in Genesis 39, 21. Um, nope, I'm sorry. It's Genesis 41, 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph continues to point everything to God. Continues to point everything to God. The dream was this, is that there'd be, the interpretation was that there'd be seven years of just an incredible booming economy. Crops would be doing great, like rain, all the other stuff that, that was needed. It's like, we're gonna have seven years of just an incredible blessing but it's gonna be followed by seven years of you know, incredible devastation and famine and you know, recession. And so Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, I'm putting you in charge. You're gonna be the administer. You're gonna, you're gonna administrate the, the seven years of growth and you're gonna help us figure out how to store everything and do this proper. And then you're gonna help carry out the seven years of distributing that to the people of the land. In one day, Joseph went from being in the prison to now being the second most powerful person in the world, governor of Egypt in one day. That's how quickly, I'm telling you, that's how quickly things can begin to shift. And you go on to read, Joseph ends up getting married and having children and seven years goes by and two years into the famine. Two years into the famine. So Joseph will be 39 at this point. This is 22 years removed from when his brothers sold him into slavery. His brothers make the, the trip the journey from Canaan to Egypt because they need, you know, there, there's, it's the famines over the, the entire land and, and they need to go to Egypt and buy food and, and buy stuff so that their family can, you know, sus be sustained through this, through this tough time. And, and Joseph has an opportunity here to enact revenge on his brothers. Joseph has an opportunity here to maybe give them a taste of their own medicine. But what's beautiful about it is through a series of questions and conversations, Joseph meets his younger brother, Benjamin, his father is made aware that Joseph is alive. His family comes back and they live in Egypt. They live in not just in Egypt, they live in Goshen, which is like the Beverly Hills of Egypt. And they live there until Joseph dies at age 110, which is what we pick up in Genesis 50, 23 to 26. It says, Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Bekur, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That's the life of Joseph. That's the story of Joseph. And so that's where we come to Hebrews 11.22. Where when you're reading Hebrews and we know the story of these characters, if you're anything like me, you get to where it's like, oh, we're going to be talking about Joseph. You're like, I wonder, I wonder what part in those 14 chapters, in this incredible life of Joseph, 93 years from the, the history is what we have from Joseph as far as when he received the dream and when it was fulfilled. What is it that the writer of Hebrews is going to put in here that just like signifies the, the greatest amount of faith from Joseph? Well, let's read Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I'm grateful that we can turn to your word, Lord, and you're going to speak to us this morning. So, Father, as we take the next few moments to, to dissect this and look at this, Lord, I pray that you do what only you can do, and that is that you'd speak to us individually, each one of us where we're at. Lord, our ears are open to hear what it is that you have to say. Our eyes are ready to see what we need to see, and, Lord, our hearts are prepared to receive what it is that you have for us. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. All right, I'm going to read that again. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. If you're anything like me, you probably read that and like, really? <laughs> like, not Potiphar's house, not the prison, not the palace, but the departure, or I'm sorry, yeah, the, the mentioning the departure of the children of Israel and, and then instructions on where to carry his, his bones is the greatest example of faith that Joseph displayed. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the Holy Spirit in this chapter selects out of good men's lives the most brilliant instances of their faith. I should hardly have expected that he would have mentioned the dying scene of Joseph's life as the most illustrious, most illustrious proof of his faith in God. Does not this tell us, dear brethren and sisters, that we are very poor judges of what God will most delight in? You look at this and you, you start to think, okay, what is it about the life of Joseph? What is it about this instance that makes it the greatest, you know, story of faith in his life? Well, in order for us to understand that, we actually have to go back a little further into Genesis 15, because we have to understand the promise that God made to Abraham, the, the covenant that he made with Abraham. And listen, Joseph would have been fully aware and, you know, he would have had a great understanding of, of this instance in time. And so let's go look at Genesis 15, 12 through 17. It says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation that they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation thou shalt return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven, burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Joseph would have known this story well. Like Joseph 
grew up in close proximity, not just with his father, but his grandfather. His father being Jacob and his grandfather being Isaac. Isaac, the son of Abraham, who, who this promise was made to. So this is, this is not something that just, you know, accidentally he would have been like, man, I wonder what was it that, that you know, my great-grandpa ate? What was that story? No, this was, this was ingrained in their family. This was a part, like this was, this was part of their, their purpose on, on this earth. He would have known, he would have known every bit about this story. So Joseph, being 110 years old, gives instruction knowing that, hey, we're going to be here for a while. We're going to be here for a while. And, and my, my faith that I'm leaving to you is this, the Lord will visit you and you're to carry my bones with you back into the land. I think it tells us two things. Again, we look at Joseph as a dreamer and we see that he had these two um, very specific dreams that he fulfilled. But beyond that, there was another thing. And it was a, a purpose, a general purpose that his family fulfilled. And I think that it shows us this. There's two, there's two things that I want this passage to reveal to us this morning. Write this down if you're taking notes. Is that dreams should go beyond our life. God-given dreams should go beyond our life. Listen to me. If the dream ends with you, it's not from God. If your dream is just about your possessions and the material things that you can gather on this earth and you can get as much as you want. And listen, some of that's like, we want to like, we want to be able to enjoy life. God wants you to be able to enjoy life. But if your dream ends with you, it's not from God. Joseph had two specific dreams, right? That he carried out. There were specific things that God had for him. But he had a general dream that passed from one generation to him, and then it passed from him to the next one. Like the same is true for us. God, God wants us to be able to pass our dream on. Parents, listen, like it's important for you to understand God's got purpose in your life, purpose for you to pass on. He wants you to pass it on to the next generation. Your dream should not begin and end with you. And not only do we have specific dreams, like I want you to think about this. Many of you in here, like you're, you're walking in what God has for you. Maybe it's to be a children's pastor. Maybe it's to be a police officer. Maybe for you, it's, you know, to run a business and be very successful. And listen, God wants you to do that. We need people to do that. That's important. But alongside that, there's two very important things that we need to remember as Christians and believers in this. And the first one's the Great Commission. Like we're all called to go forth into every part of our life, into every space that we occupy and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're to share the good news and we're to do it until the day that the Lord returns. And listen, if, if the Lord tarries and, and doesn't return in our lifetime, we need to make sure that our dream goes beyond our life. We need to make sure that our dream goes beyond our life. It's important that we remember that. Number two is this, is it reveals the need for community to achieve the dream that God has for us. If, if you're going to grasp the dream that God has for you, the, the dream that's going to take you or the dream that's going to last beyond your life here, you need to realize it's going to require other people to get you there. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. No, no dream from God or no purpose from God is going to isolate you and put you on an island where you're all by yourself and you're not, you're not working with other people. It's just, it's just, you don't see that in scripture. There's always partnership. There's working alongside others. And let me, let me also say this. There's somebody else who needs you to help them accomplish their dream that God has for their life. And, and here's, here's one of the things I want to say this. Some of you in here, maybe you think, hey, my purpose and my, um, 
you know, my, my vision or my dream for my life, I'm retired, all that's come to an end. No, 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 God is not done with you. God wants you to partner along other people to, to be able to help them achieve. Trust me, you've got wisdom. You've got things that you can offer those to help them get to where it is that God has for them. Spouses in the room, listen to me. This is what will help sustain you through the hard times. Like you need, you should be dreaming together as husband and wife. There should be dreams and it's beyond just having the 3,500 square foot home with a pool in the backyard with the deep end. Like that is, it is beyond that. You need to be able to have purpose. You need to be asking yourself like, hey, what is, what is our purpose on this earth so that we, we can make sure that, that we, we leave a legacy and we, we leave this behind, but also understand this, that's part of the community that's gonna help you get, get you through the hard times. It's part of the community that's gonna help you identify what you need to see. Some of you, you need to hear this, that maybe right now you're in a season of life where God's got you to where your role is to serve alongside somebody else's dream. And in the world we live in today, that's really not a whole lot of good news to, to some of us, right? Because we, we wanna be that influencer, we wanna be that person that it's all about us. We want, you know, we wanna be the center of attention, but right now maybe the Lord's saying, hey, I, you need to come alongside somebody and serve and serve them. I mean, look at the life of Joseph. In every aspect of Joseph, as great as Joseph was, as impeccable as Joseph was, number two in command in Potiphar's house, number two in the prison, number two in Egypt. And then you even see at the end of his life, it wasn't his dream that he was chasing. It was God's dream that he was fulfilling that was passed down from Abraham. Joseph was serving the, the dream of not only the people that he was around, but he was serving the dream of his fathers. You know, I think about like this, this reminded me of, because here's one of the things that you got to understand is when God gives you this dream, he's going to put you around other people that, that, that have similar dreams or a similar track or passions that you want to achieve. And, and so I was thinking about how my wife, Kristen and I found this church, you know, we, uh, in 2011, we went to Gateway, and uh, my life at the time was, was not what I thought it would be. We had some dreams. Um, many of you know my story, but we had some stuff that we had dreamed about for years, and we were, we were not walking in. It didn't even feel like there was a remote chance that we were going to get any of that or, or, or step into any of that. And at this service, it was amazing. The Lord really did a work in my heart and reignited like, hey, you need to dream. And I've got something in store for you. So my wife and I, on the way back home, we were like, man, this is amazing. That was such a good word. We're, we're moving to Texas. That church is incredible. We're moving to Texas. And it, it, I mean, it could have been in Tucson. It didn't matter. We were just like, we want to be around God's people doing what they're doing there. We want to we, we be around that. And so we, for the next five years, we're like, we are, we're doing everything and anything we can to, to figure out a way to move to Texas. I can tell you how many times I was told no from job application to job application. Like, nope, nope. There was a couple of times where we had some opportunity, but we decided, nah, this doesn't look, this isn't the right fit. But for five years, we were, hey, we're moving to Texas. And, uh, but let me, let me also say this. We weren't like just waiting to go to church until we got, to, we were still serving in a local church here. We were still involved we were still plugged in. We just knew that, hey, God's got something in store for us and we think it's in Texas. We feel like that's the direction God's moving us. And so I went back to school because I thought, you know, I need to finish my degree. Maybe that'll be what gets me a job. And so I go back to night school and I meet a guy named Stephen who is a children's pastor at a church here locally in town. 
And I get a phone call a couple weeks after school had started, and it was the current boss that I was, that I was or it was my old boss. It was my current employer at the time. And um, he said, hey, we've got an opportunity for you to move to Texas. And I thought, man, this is, this is incredible. Five, after five years of waiting and being obedient, this is, this is our opportunity. And so we said yes, and we began to make plans to move to Texas. And I was telling this to this guy at school, Stephen, and he said, you know what you should do? You, you, should, you should go check out New Song while you're still here because their pastors came from Gateway. And I'm just sitting here thinking, man, this is amazing. Like now we're moving to Texas and what are the chances? I meet a guy who knows some people who are from Gateway. And so we ended up going to the school. I think there was like 40 or 50 people at the church at the time. Some of you in here uh, were there. And uh, we meet Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah, met Pastor Ken and Trudy and Pastor David and uh, I remember I was at a men's breakfast a couple weeks uh, after that, and Pastor David has got like a map out, and he's showing me, oh, these are great neighborhoods to move into when you get to Dallas and all this other stuff. And so again, fully, fully plan on moving. And then a couple weeks go by, and we're pulling out of the parking lot, and I just remember it so vividly. The Lord, I mean, simultaneously spoke to my wife and I and said, you're not moving to Texas. You're going to stay here, and you're going to serve this church. And the reason why I bring that up is this. Because, again, God's often going to direct you in a path that's different than, than, than the way you think it should go. Yeah. It's going to look different. And it requ- I'll be honest with you, it required some faith, but it was easy to sit here and say, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to stay here. And as we have served in this church, it's been almost, uh, is it seven years or eight years? Seven or eight years uh, we've been serving in this church. And what's been amazing about it is the purpose and the plan that God is, we've been able to step into things that God had for our life that we would have never been able to do on our own. We would have never been able to do some of this stuff that God has, that, has, that God is continuing to do uh, in our life if we wouldn't have partnered and served. So here's what I want you to understand. Maybe for you, it's just serving. It's getting alongside and serving and getting plugged in. God wants, God wants you to be able to be connected. Your dreams are going to connect you with other dreamers. And trust me, God wants to move. And, and, and it's, going to be, it's going to be so much better than, than what you could have done if you were to do it on your own. So those are the two things that this reveals. Is it reveals the gener- generational nature of dreams and the need for community. But how do we make sure that our dreams are fulfilled? I think there's three things that we see in the life of Joseph that I want to point out here. So I want you to write this down. The first one is this. You're to stay connected to God. Now, that probably doesn't catch anybody off guard at church hearing that you should stay connected to God, right? But it's important that we remain connected to God. Listen, when you're connected with God, you hear from the Lord. You don't hear from the Lord if you're not connected to the Lord. And it's, that's why I love what we're doing with like the Being Transformed journal, with the classes that we have. Like Get plugged in and get involved in those things because trust me, when you're connected to the Lord, he's going to begin to speak to you. Look at what John 16, 13 says. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. He's going to give you an indication of what are things to come, what, what purpose, where he wants you to be spending your time and investing your energy. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When we're connected to the Lord, we have an eternal perspective. We have an eternal perspective. We're not just thinking about the here and now. We're saying, Lord, help me to remember that my time here is limited and give me wisdom on how to navigate through and, and accomplish the task in which you've, you've placed, accomplish the passion that you've put in my heart and desire to, to want to be able to move and advance the kingdom of God. 
It's important for us to remember that. Number two is this, we're to have faith in the dream. We're to have faith in the dream, faith in the promise. Faith sees beyond the natural realm. When you look at the life of Joseph, Joseph saw beyond the natural realm. You know when Joseph made this commitment or made the statement that he did at the end of his life, there was no reason for him or even the children of Israel at this point to believe that things were going to get bad. Things were really, they, there was so much favor on them from Pharaoh and his administration. Like there was, there was no reason for him to necessarily even give that in the natural, but faith sees beyond the natural. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith sees beyond the natural realm. Faith also speaks. We're to talk about it. We're to confess it. You know, one of the things that I love about God's word is there's promises in here for all of us and we're to grab a hold of those promises. Specific, you know, all of us, like whether it's healing or other things that are in here, but specific to your purpose, there's promises in here. You're to grab a hold of those things and, and, and speak them. Pray them. Find a scripture for what God's purpose in your life is for. Find a scripture for your family. Find something that, that when times get tough, you can revert back to the promises of God and speak faith over it because of what God's word says. Like this is, this is treasure. This is not just a, a book to pick up and read. James 1.6 says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And then faith steps. Faith is action. It's not standing around waiting. Faith doesn't just stand around and wait. You can get the promise. You can get the dream. But if you stand around and just wait for God to move, nothing is going to happen. It's in partnership with the Lord. You need to make a step of faith. If you're not moving, where's the faith? It takes faith to take a step forward, right? Standing around and waiting is just sitting here going, okay, God's going to do what God wants to do in his time. Faith says, no, I'm going to move forward with what the promise of God is. And then I'm going to see God move in that scenario. Look at what James 2.24 says. It says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. There's action. There's action that's required. And then number three is we're to invest our dream in our family. We're to invest our dream in our family. And listen, when I say that, I'm not talking about just your blood family. I'm also talking about your spiritual family. We're to, we're to work together to invest our dream with other believers. And here's, here's my hope and my desire, though. My hope and my desire is that your blood family is also your spiritual family. You know, Joseph, at the end of his life, could have given those orders to anybody. Second most powerful man in Egypt. He could have, given, he could have called Pharaoh and said, hey, Listen, I'm dying. I have served this community well. Like, I need to tell you guys some, some, some desires or some wishes that I have. But what does he do? No, he calls on the family. Because he recognizes that if our dream is going to pass beyond our life and we're going to leave what was, a, like, we're going to go from having a destiny to a legacy, it's got to happen through family. It's got to happen through family. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to share this. It's our responsibility to pass the baton to the next generation. That's why I love this church so much. 
Let me just tell you this. Your children that are in the rooms over there, we are not pacifying them with coloring sheets and veggie straws. <laughs> and just saying, shh, be quiet. Like, here's a song. We're going to wait for mom and dad to, to get done with church. No, 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 no. We're teaching that generation to love the Lord. All the way from, from being little toddlers, little in nursery, all the way up to, to what Pastor Jackson's doing in students. I love what Pastor Joy and Pastor Ken are doing over there. Like there's, they, they are learning to look for Jesus in the word. They're learning to, to have boldness in their schools. They're learning to lean and listen to see what the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. They're learning to have faith in the promises of God. Like it, because listen, there's coming a day, there's coming a day where we're gonna have to pass what we're doing on to them. And we, we better have prepared them. We better have, have, have told them the stories. You know, it's like that song. I love that song that we, we sang. I was telling Pastor Maddie that at the end of last service. I'll tell these stories to my kids. That they may see your faithfulness. That they may not forget the goodness of God. We're to invest it in our family. You know, in Genesis 50, I was, <laughs> I was listening to it yesterday because I was trying to, I, I, I pushed play on the Bible app because I wanted to hear to pronounce a guy's name. I didn't want to say it wrong. <laughs> and as it was playing in, the, in my vehicle, I was reminded that Joseph, um, when his dad died, went to Pharaoh and said, hey, my dad's died, I want to bury him. I want to bury him with my ancestors in Canaan. And so he said, Can, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to take him back and, you know, the ceremony and everything. Pharaoh didn't just say, yeah, hey, go, be back in two weeks. He was like, hey, I'm not only going to send you, but I'm, I'm sending you with resources and people. And so they did that. And then Joseph and his family came back. The reason why that stuck out to me is this. Joseph knew good and well what was coming because of the, the promise and the covenant that, that was made to Abraham. He knew good and well what was coming. And I promise you this, maybe we don't understand it all that well as far as understanding that, like the importance of where they were being buried and being buried with family, like this had great significance. And so Joseph knew good and well what was coming. He could have very easily had Pharaoh and, and his people come to, to wherever it was that he was in Goshen when he was dying and said, hey, I'm dying, I'm gonna share some blessing with my children, but I want you to help them take me back so that I can be buried with my family. And he could have seen, like that's what he wanted. He could have seen that happen. I believe a big part of why this was such a faith statement and the inheritance of faith that he left is because the, the remaining generations that were gonna stay in Egypt, if you study it out, it says that he had his body buried above ground and, and I think they call it a sarcophagus, not in the ground but it was a point of reference for all of God's people. On those tough days, on those miserable days where the, the next Pharaoh or the next administration was afflicting slavery and just terrible things on these people, they had Joseph's coffin to look at, his tomb to look at as a point of faith and promise of what was to come. Joseph in this moment decided to sit here and say, as badly as I wanna be, buried with my ancestors. I'm willing to wait 
I'm willing to pass on faith. This is gonna be an example. This is gonna be something that you all can look at to fuel you until God does come back. Because listen, God is coming back. And when he does, when he comes to rescue you, you're to take my bones with you. They required great faith. And we see this in Exodus. Exodus 13, 17 through 19. It says, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way or by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under Salmo, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. It was fulfilled many generations later. Part of the reason why I love this story so much and why I believe this and all the other stories in Hebrews speaks to us is God is looking for us to, in our place, take the baton, do what we're called to do, and by faith, pass it on to the next generation, trusting and believing that God is gonna fulfill the promises that he has set before us. If you would, bow your heads this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And God, I'm so grateful. So grateful for you, your presence. Lord, help us to not lose sight of what it is that you have for us. Lord, help, help us to realize the calling on our life. Lord, help us to see beyond our circumstances and have faith in who you are. Thank you, Lord. We're going to remain in an attitude of, of prayer. and You know what? Our altar ministry, if you guys would, go ahead and come down. But here in a moment, we're going to go back into prayer and worship. And, and here's what I would say. I, I, I know that sometimes when you're talking about dreams and purpose, it can create some, some pain that comes up. Maybe you find yourself feeling like you're a little bit lost or that dream or what it is that God has for your life feels like it's so far off into the distant that, that it's hard to have the faith to, to move forward and, and trust God with it. Here's, here's what I would ask. Come down and receive prayer. Like, don't let, this be a, don't let this be a moment where you walk out of here just hearing the story about Joseph and going about your day. If you need ministry this morning, I want to encourage you to come down and receive prayer. Let faith, let faith rise up. Respond in faith. And maybe for you, it's not in response to the message. Maybe for you, you've got a need of healing in your body. Maybe you just need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just want more. Maybe that there's a prodigal child that you're believing for to return home. Come down and pray for them by name. Join your faith with with our altar ministers this morning and make sure that you don't leave here. So if you would, would you please stand with me this morning? And if, you, if you've got a need of prayer, I wanna encourage you, go ahead and begin to make your, ways, make your way down to the altar. And if not, this is a time to respond in worship. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we love you. I just pray right now that everybody under the sound of my voice that has a need of prayer, whatever it is, Lord, that you would give them the boldness that they need to come down and receive prayer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.